0: So the Bible includes many different styles and speeches and letters and poetry and this week um, I'm going to draw on some of the wider works of the Bible project to help guide us through and in particular we're going to look at some narratives or stories and also the power of poetry or symbolism and metaphor in the Bible. So can anybody who has been in year four or more tell me what metaphor is because you all get taught this and I didn't get taught this very well at school. Anybody know what a metaphor is? Nobody know, nobody, got, <laughs> nobody, got educated. Go on then. What's a
1: metaphor? Um, it's something
2: that you um, um, I think like, it's something that's sort
0: of like a line. That it, like, I don't know. Something like, can they, anybody else know? Anybody else who's? No. Okay, so metaphors are describing one thing as another thing. So we take something that's tangible, something we can touch, and we put it on something that's a bit abstract and a bit difficult to understand. And so, like how we describe our lives, we often say a life is a journey. And we, we use this to kind of identify our whole language, actually. We, we go on, on a journey through life. We consider the direction we're going in. We overcome obstacles in the paths that we journey along. So metaphors add richness Beyond just the words being used, and it paints an image and points to a, a reality that normal language can't describe. So talking of images, does anybody recognize the image on the slide behind me? Have you seen that before? Not like that. But like that. That like <laughs> well, any guess is what it is. No, no, no. Okay, this is the world. This is the world. So, this is, uh, this is the world as, as uh, put together by a chap called uh, somebody Fuller. Uh, and it's a projection map, and it is a geographically accurate representation of the world. But it's been unfolded in a different way to the one that we would always be used to. And it's interesting, this one, isn't it? Because it shows a closeness and a connection of the land that I certainly hadn't before realised. And I thought it was a really good image, perhaps today, to think about as we look at things slightly differently in the Bible. So we're going to—I'm just going to get you to do some work now. So we're going to start with a narrative, with poetic elements. So, if you could all—if you—if you're able to to get hold of one, find a Bible. If you have one on your phone, I'll let you do that. And we're going to start with Genesis 1. So who can find Genesis 1 for me? So we're looking Genesis 1, chapters, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 13. And if you've got one, if you've got it in your Bible, Timothy, we've got some, some other Bibles at the front here, it'll be right at the beginning, page three, and this one. Right, has anybody found it? Yeah, I can see. Found it. I can, is anybody over here willing to, would you mind reading it for us? So we're looking up to one to
1: thirteen. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation Seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruits with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day.
0: Thank you. So, I hope you're all listening to that because I'm going to test you on it in a minute. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. And the Spirit of God was moving over the waters. And God separated the waters and he created dry land, and he created a garden. you want to come and play with it, that's absolutely fine. There we go. It's been said if you want to understand metaphor used throughout the Bible, then start by reading Genesis 50 times and look for the repeating images. Because the imagery found in the rest of the Bible is largely based on Genesis. And all of the authors in our Bible would have been immersed in Genesis from a young age and would have been aware of the symbolism in their own writings. So here in the first few verses is a wild waste, a deep, dark abyss, disorder and chaos in the waters, a place where humanity cannot flourish. But God creates order out of chaos by separating the waters. The dry land appears, Elevated land, mountains, the divine provision of a safe place of refuge. A garden is planted. Eden, which means delight, is the human ideal, a place to live out the image of God, living and working in unity, surrounded by abundance and beauty. And throughout the Bible, references to chaotic waters are used to signify threat or hardship or enemies or danger. And mountains or high towers, like we sang in our first hymn, but land or gardens represents God's provision or safety or refuge. But of course we do not always choose to live under God's provision and refuge. Often we do not. We choose our own way away from the source of life. We join with the chaotic waters causing damage to God's ideal. So shall we just join together now and pray for those times when we do not do what we should or we do what we know we shouldn't do. Lord, we confess that there are times When we are the chaotic waters, we unleash chaos. Where we bring harm to others and to your world, and we do not live in your image. For those times where we do not do our part to live in unity, where we stir up, where we avoid bringing stillness, where we turn our backs on those struggling to keep afloat, Lord, forgive us and let us be bringers of calm and peace to places of turbulence. Amen. So, right, if you get hold of your Bible, we're going to have our second set of readings now. We've got three because they're all connected. So uh, if we could, I'm going to pick on people in a minute. So if somebody over here could read the the first one, Exodus chapter 14. Somebody vaguely in the middle, Exodus chapter 15. And somebody over here, Psalm 18. If you are... Not overly familiar with the Bible. Exodus is found on six sixty-eight-ish, and the Psalms are kind of eighty in the middle, and five three zero for the Psalms. So Exodus chapter fourteen, verses twenty-one to twenty-nine. Where did I put the thing? Is anybody over here? You're happy to read it, Hattie? Yeah?
2: Uh, what did I say? 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove over the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it to dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians passed them and all the Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar and of fire and at the cloud Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels on the chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord says to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place, the Egyptians were fleeing words towards it, and the Lord swept into the sea, the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, and the entire army of Pharaoh that had not followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Thank you. That's brilliant. Thank you.
0: Brilliant reading. Thank you. Okay, so that was uh, Exodus chapter 14. So anybody got Exodus chapter 15, verses 8 to 11, that would like to read for us? I'm going to pick on someone. Oh, excellent. Sorry. Thank you. By the... The last of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea
2: covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders.
0: Thank you, that's brilliant reading. Thank you very much. Marvellous. Good good readers here. Right, lovely. And then finally we've got two verses in Psalms. Anybody over here would like to have a go at that? Nobody's not looking at me. Right, Right. Jane, are you happy to read that that for me? Yep. The valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, Lord at the blast of breath from your nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. Thank you. That's great. So the Israelites have become subject to the power of Egypt and Moses appears on the scene. And soon after... And several plagues, and Pharaoh allows the Israelites to leave slavery and to leave Egypt. But he changes his mind. And here we have three Bible readings from different perspectives in different styles about the same thing. In Exodus, there's the narrative, a story of the crossing of the Red Sea. In Exodus, that was in Exodus 14. And in the following chapter in Exodus 15, which uh, this lady, lovely reading at the back there, there is a description of the same thing, but in a poetic form. But then in the Psalms, David also refers to this as uh, the same event, but he uses his own—he uses it as a description. The description of Moses crossing the Red Sea is a metaphor for his, for his own experience, because. David had nothing to do with Moses crossing the Red Sea, but he had to experience his own enemies and Saul trying to chase him down. And he used this as a metaphor for his enemies. So can you think about what we've just read? Think about the story in Exodus we've just read and also perhaps in the the Psalms there. What similarities can you see? I'm going to be asking some answers here, so I hope you're paying attention. So what similarities can you see between the readings in Genesis 1 we read the first time and the things we talked about in Genesis 1 and the readings we've just heard in Exodus and in Psalms. has anybody kind of come across any similarities between the two? Any any words or any kind of themes that are similar? anybody notice anything? Well there's water in both. Should we start with that one. <laughs> so there's water in both, and in both cases the water is separated and dry land appears. Okay, anything else? Anybody? The command of God? Yep, absolutely. The word of God. Yep. What else of God? Anything else comes out of God? The breath. So interesting that in, in Hebrew, the word for breath and for spirit and for wind are all the same. It's a word called ruach, which you have to spit at people when you say, and it means the spirit. So the spirit in the, the spirit that was hovering over the waters in Genesis one. Is the same as the breath that God has coming, that causes this water to part in, in the Red Sea, and and it's the same as the, the, it's the same word that's used to describe the breath that comes out of His nostrils. But you know clearly this is a, a symbol of of God's breath coming out and causing causing this to this water to part. And anything else, just out of interest, that you can see in in that reading, particularly in Exodus, Exodus 14, anything that's similar to Genesis. I had never noticed before. Let me test you. There's an evening and there's a morning. And it's surprising, within the, in the Bible, there's, when you suddenly start noticing things, you, you suddenly realise that throughout the Bible there are references to evening and to morning. And morning is a time when God seems to be at work. Jesus was raised from the dead, and he was found, discovered in the morning. It was throughout in Isaiah. There's references to to God's enemies, or the enemies of the Israelites being there, and enemies of Judah being there. And in the morning, they'll be gone. It's it's quite a theme that goes throughout the Bible.